This is Angela Midgley, a research staff developer. And this is Denise Chilton, leadership coach. And you're listening to a Making Impact special as part of the Academy's Developing Practice podcast. Hello and welcome to the next episode of the University of Liverpool Academy's Developing Practice podcast. In this special episode for Making an Impact, myself, Alex Owen, academic developer, and Matt Davis, organisational developer, sat down with Denise Chilton, a specialist in leadership coaching and coaching training, and Angela Midgley, one of our research staff developers. We discussed how coaching can support researchers to maximise their potential and what we mean when we talk about researcher wellbeing. We hope you enjoy. We're really pleased to be speaking with you both today uh, as one of our Making an Impact specials. Just for the um, the listeners out there, Making an Impact Development Series is an annual program of events which aims to provide a rich and varied and high quality development opportunities for researchers, academic and research related professional services staff at all stages of their career across all faculties at the university. Um, Denise, obviously, I've I met you uh, at a Northwest Coaching Network up at Edge Hill uh, one day, and obviously now you're working with the um, university and in terms of working with the academy, running some of the programs that we have in our leadership space. That's correct, isn't it? Yeah, that's yeah. I've probably been working around the university for around ten years, but in that coaching space and leadership space, I've been working with the academy, running some it called stepping into management, which is new managers so that that's on on that side but i've been working with researchers um gosh probably for about of those 10 years probably around the last six or seven brilliant okay and angela uh, angela is a part of the academy and it's great to be speaking with another colleague today um before we get started officially on the podcast and we do this with every guest that we've ever had on we would love to hear a little bit about your professional backgrounds and how you've arrived at the position that you're in now so, Denise, could I, could I start with you? How, how have you got to this point? Gosh, well, I'm very old, so that's, I'll try and keep it short. Okay, so I, uh, I came from the corporate world. Um, I did 20 years in the corporate world, and most of the work that I did was with uh, managing people, I suppose that. So I'm very much a generalist. I'd worked around lots of different. And so people thing was, you know, people management was my thing. And I used to get all the naughty teams that didn't work very well. <laughs> they'd say go and do that stuff that you do and i'd say you mean talk to people or kind of break a few rules and that's where my fascination really in people came because what i realized was um you know we're all different aren't we and so we all need different things and we've all got different needs at work anyway i had um, a mini midlife crisis in gosh probably 97 and um i decided to be an entrepreneur and i bought a little coffee cart and i did shows and events and people thought I'd had a breakdown. Um, and so, so I went from this really very well-paid, amazing job in the corporate world to minimum wage overnight. And I bought a little tuk-tuk. It was a little coffee franchise, um, a little tuk-tuk machine. And it had um, an amazing espresso machine in the back. Um, and it was just before Starbucks and Costas had come on the high street, so you couldn't get fresh coffee. Um, out on an, an, an outdoor event right and I knew nothing about business I knew nothing about um coffee and I was the least practical person and you researchers listen to this all love this because the thing ran on a generator who knew you put oil in the generator <laughs> and the thing blew up on the second day out, out of this out, and in the middle of a field in Wales and I had all these you know engineer type people saying have you put any oil in that love and I was like oh no well so there we go so I that's kind of I I kind of flipped life upside down really quickly and that's where I started learning not only about business because I didn't know anything about business but also where I started learning about myself Um, and that started my journey really and then um, I did some other things we won a little business award um, and that all that experience actually prepared me really for coming to work with the university because my my first um, my first trip into the university was when I just trained as a coach and I came to work with students who were looking to start businesses and having made every mistake, I was probably very well qualified <laughs> to come and say never do this or don't do that. Um, yeah, so then I trained around that time as um, after we'd sold the business, um, 
I trained as a professional coach. Um, so I've been doing this probably just over, probably about 12 years now. Um, and I work right across the public, private and not-for-profit sector. Um, and within the university, um, I've worked probably from um, at every level, from student up to the senior leadership team. So I came to work with one of the pro vice chancellors um, back in 2015 for a couple of years looking at um, enterprise and how um, and what actually does that mean? How can we be more enterprising as students, but also as academics and professional services staff as well? So that's a whistle stop tour of um, of how I got to where I am right now. I love the tuk tuk story. <laughs> oh, it was yeah, it was just. I mean, it, it sounded like it had a fifty cc engine, and it sounded like a hairdryer when it was going. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and we were one of the first shows we did was a motorbike show well can you imagine <laughs> and, and, they, and and like they had these really you know these massive machines these great big motorbike machines and i had to start this thing and drive it across the field <laughs> and it was just talk about your street cred i was just like but anyway they all loved it so and the coffee was amazing well, that's it. You, you're a trailblazer in terms of getting coffee to the masses, proper absolutely, coffee. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Well, one thing that stands out from from that experience for me is that uh, you're quite clearly a people person. You worked with people in those uh, corporate entities. You went and sold coffee, um, you know, in amongst lots of different various people at different events. It's no surprise, really, that you ended up going down a coaching route because um, – you're very people orientated. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. And, you know, I didn't really know what the word coach meant. I suppose I, I use very much a coaching approach with my people mm. when I was managing teams. So I used to get, you know, very different types of teams and they had different needs and they had different ages and different experience. And I think in the corporate world at the time, and I see this across still in some sectors that we can't fit, we can't use a one you know one type fits all yeah. you you have to when you're when you're managing yourself or other people or working with them you have to be able to flex and i think the the, the whole thing starts with learning about yourself which is why i love working um particularly with the researchers and i think some of the stuff that we've done in the past that real you know it's you know you become your experiment, don't you? you? You become your research because you step into that space and go, gosh, I never knew I thought that or I, I, I did that. Uh, or why do I do that? Yeah. So I think that, um, you know, it's those behaviours that we that we have and those little habits that we want to try and change, really. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Denise. Just coming to you, Angela, can you just give us a bit of a bit of background about yourself and, and how you made that transition from... Um, research to developing yeah no absolutely so there's been plenty of coffee in my career but no tuk tuk unfortunately um so i uh, gained my phd at the university of nottingham and all of my postdoc career involved research into autoimmune disease um firstly in adults i did a lot of work with multiple cirrhosis and then subsequently with children which was around um, um autoimmune disease uh, called juvenile lupus um, and also in arthritis in children as well um, in about 2015, I took on a, a role as a knowledge exchange scientist within um, what was and still is the UK's first and only experimental arthritis um, treatment centre for children. And it's based within the University of Liverpool, but it's, it's um, our older Hay Children's Hospital. Um, and my role there was um, really, really varied, um, but generally involved um, trying to help the clinical teams and the lab based teams to work well together. Um, and then at the end of 2019, I joined the academy as a research staff developer. Um, and I think the role that I had as the knowledge exchange scientist, as I said, was really varied. But I found that the, the part that I enjoyed the most was when I sort of facilitated kind of the development or the learning of um, both our students and staff members as well. And so when I saw the position become available, it just felt like a very natural next step, actually. Right, okay, that's that's really interesting. The theme today, we're obviously talking about um, the well-being, the well-being of researchers. Um, Denise, you've mentioned that you've been working with researchers for, did you say about 10 years now since you've been about in university? Seven, 
So That's yeah, clever. it kind of started by accident. So I was I was kind of contracting for some years. Um, I think it was about 2010. I'd started working with students, and then I got this opportunity to work with one of the pro vice chancellors at the time, um, and um, looking at enterprise and. Out of a conversation, I'd started doing some coaching with students around who were thinking of um, starting businesses or also le leading student societies. And I was using a coaching approach, so I put a little programme of coaching and we'd had a conversation with the head of chemistry at the time. And he'd said, um, can, you, can you do that coaching stuff with postdocs? <laughs> And I, I didn't come from the university, so I didn't really know what a postdoc was. So I, I, I had to go and Google it. I said, well, what did they do, you know? So, um, so he said, I think, I think it would really work. So, so we started this. I kind of co-created it, really. So, um, so he said, right, I'm going to send you some postdocs. So these rather four cynical postdocs researchers came in to see me and said, well, what's all this coaching stuff? And um, so I told them a little bit about it and then we co-created a, a programme, really. And from that, um, of those four converts, if you like, about coaching and what, how, how it can empower you and to make changes and help you unlock more of your potential. Um, I think we ended up over the time, I think we're up to about group number eight um of um and they're small groups of so i tend to work when i'm working with researchers on a coaching program i tend to work in small groups because that's where we build the trust and you have to have trust and you have to have a safe space right. to make it confidential for people to feel safe and then um what i do is we have kind of um we co-create a program together so we get what do you want to work on? What are your challenges? What do you want to be able to do better? What gets in your way? And then we we coach around that over a, over a set period of time. And I know that the same themes kind of come up, um, but again, everybody's different. So um, yeah, so that's how it started, really. So and um, that's where I fell in love with research, because because <laughs> what's really cool about it is, and probably going off a little bit on track here, but what I was really curious about when I started working with researchers is why they got it so quick. And I'd not really seen that in other sectors where I'd worked in. And what I realized is, um, there's the, why are we doing this? Prove it to me first. Oh, <laughs> so yes. I had to, had to change my coaching approach. But as a coach, one, it really kept me on my toes. And I was really fascinated that actually change happened really quickly because the people got it and i hadn't seen that uh, in other sectors that i'd worked in so it got me it got me quite fascinated and somebody said that I'd, my rather my approach uh, works really well with scientists and i said what's that approach then <laughs> you're rather cynical approach and i was like oh, okay that's fine so i'll take that as a compliment yeah yeah, you should do. So you mentioned there that there were some common themes that came from some of those sessions. Could you share what some of those themes were in particular to research? Um, yeah, so um, too much stuff to do and not enough time to do it. Right. So the whole kind of work-life balance. I don't really do work-life balance. I just do balance. So I think if you love what you do, you just have a life balance. But I think we put this, this barrier sometimes in that it's a kind of work-life. So, um, so t managing our time, how do you prioritize when everything's urgent? Um, so we, we coached around techniques around how do we, how do we, cause you can't manage your time. You can only manage yourself yeah. in relationship to time. So what gets in your way? Are you a master procrastinator? <laughs> so we put a few of them. So, um, so I saw that, but actually when people understand their relationship with time, they, you know, and that, that some people are motivated right to the end and some not like, you know, like to know what they're doing a week on Tuesday. That's really normal for people. Mm. So we work with that's normal for you and that's normal for you. And we'll work within that. And um, so time comes up lots of times. Um, tricky relationships. Enough said. Why are there? Why is them? Why does that person drive me absolutely mad? Or 
um, you know, and this person I really get on really well with. And how do I have that really tricky conversation, but authentically without causing a conflict? So, um, because what I also see, um, and, and not just in researchers, but generally is that we, you know, we like, we very often, it's easy to avoid conflict and avoid that tricky conversation. Mm. But, um, but how do you do that? Um, confidence. I don't feel confident. And I think, um, you know, again, that's not just researchers, but, um, you know, we're in an academic environment and there's lots of qualifications. And, I, you know, I always laugh and say, well, you know, I've got some GCSEs. I don't have a degree. I didn't do that route. And my bit is around life experience. Um, and so, but really owning that and owning our strengths. So let's not focus on what you can't do, but what can you do and what's your contribution? And actually, once we start really getting in touch with that, and that's your specialist and that's your strength, that's where you start building the confidence. Um, what else did I see? Um, I mean, that's quite a lot, to be fair. Well, yeah, there was, there was the, kind of, the other bit, I guess, is that inner critic, that inner critic voice that says, who do you think you are? Uh, the imposter syndrome imposter syndrome yeah. and again very often you know um it, it you know in an academic environment where there's a lot lots of knowledge and lots of expertise it's around um i mean i had a great conversation one day uh with a researcher and they were going to do a, a presentation they're very nervous about it and i said to them i said simply by the fact that you're going to stand up there and do a you know, you've been invited to go and talk, people will automatically assume you're the expert. You don't even have to prove that. And all you could see the light bulb moment. And um, so we did some little coaching techniques to help help her get in touch with her confidence. And she was kind of fine. So I think sometimes coaching techniques are really great with some of the themes that are coming out. Yeah. I say I've got like a big toolkit with lots of stuff. Try this. That might work for you, but it might not work for you. Um, but have a go anyway. Yeah. Angela, I guess you must see sort of similar themes coming out of the conversations that you have, um, you know, with the research staff from a, an academy point of view. Yeah, no, no, absolutely, definitely. And I think up until taking this post as a research staff developer, I myself, my whole career, I have been a research member of staff. So I think, you know, the common themes that I'm hearing is something that I have heard throughout my my own research career. So, you know, um, absolutely the imposter syndrome, the questioning yourself um, and uh, wondering, is there a world outside of academia? I think we sort of hear that a lot and, and the work pressures, the long days, that sort of inability to, to switch off is another thing as well. Um, and I suppose the uncertainty, perhaps what falls around a lot of researchers with having fixed term contracts and, um, you know, what, how can they get their next step or, or how to make sure that that next grant comes through that, you know, that they can carry on doing the research that, that they want to do. Brilliant. So a lot of those themes that you're both talking about, I guess, fit within this remit that we've got for today, which is talking about researchers' well-being and some of the other podcasts that Matt and I have recorded as well, talking to researchers, but also other colleagues from across the institution. They've talked about those themes and the impact that those themes then have on their personal well-being. So before we get into that conversation, Denise, how what are we talking about when we're talking about researchers' well-being? How would we define that? I think that's a really interesting question. And for me, well-being means different things to different people. I think um, I think when you I think there's two things actually. I think there's a personal well-being which we kind of are more familiar with. Um, how we you know how much sleep we get? Are we active? Um, you know you know our general health and well-being. What's our mental health like? Uh, are we are we developing ourselves? Are we feeling fulfilled? And I think there's a personal side, but I also think. There's a professional side as well. And that's around, for me, around, I call it psychological safety. So how safe are you at work? Are you feeling valued? Do you make a contribution? Do you feel in control of your work? And I think there's different, there's different factors. There's they're, they're different influences. And one of the things that we're going to be doing in our well-being, in the well-being workshops that we've put together is around 
you know we all know how to you know so if you're trying to lose weight we all know how to do that you just don't eat as much and go for you know you do a bit more exercise so why is it so difficult and so what um the well-being workshops are going to do and look at is 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 how do you get some tips to do something about that so for me it's around you know our well-being is all about it's an inside job it's the it's our, our it's our minds and you know our brains are amazing things but we don't know how they work very often so it's around how do we how do we understand ourselves more what you know our motivations what limits us what stops us and gets in, in the way because we all kind of know what to do so i've taken two approaches to it um and um and again put them in because i think actually they're that they're the things that impacts our well-being i think that that's really helpful if i reflect back on my work with my students if there's an issue impacting their well-being then i could be the best lecturer in the world but if if there's issues going on in their life like like you said you know they're not getting enough sleep or that they're, they're worrying about something and it's having that impact on their well-being then then they're never going to learn as effectively as as they could do and i guess that's the same for your work angela with researchers if if there's issues impacting their well-being then you could be the best developer in the world but there's always going to kind of be that barrier do you find this quite a big issue in terms of researcher well-being at the moment yeah, no, absolutely. I think you have to look at the full picture. You look have to look at everything involved in that. I'm not sure that it's a bigger issue than it than it ever has been, really. I think that um there's not necessarily something new now. Of course, the, the COVID-19 situation has brought, you know, um strangeness in that really, but and I suppose the welcome reimagine research campaign has, has really sort of a focus on it and made it kind of more of an open discussion i suppose um but the academy has always done a lot of work around you know uh the the well-being of of researchers especially sort of with the concordat um to support the career development of of researchers um and for those that don't know that that's an agreement between funders and, and employers in the uk and sets out expectations and responsibilities for those that are involved in research careers um, and that will be people, the researchers themselves, their managers, their PIs, employers and funders. And, and three of the main principles of the Concordat, one of which is environment and culture. So very much thinking about, you know, the, the culture, the, the well-being, I suppose, within that of the researchers. And I think an important example of how the Concordat sort of impacts on the University of Liverpool is, is the statement of expectations that the University of Liverpool has for um, principal investigators and, and um, researchers. Um, and that again defines some responsibilities and the roles for research staff um, and PIs. Um, and this again emphasises on leadership and communication and, and environment and all that sort of thing. So yes, I do think well-being may feel like it's in the forefront now, but I think it is something that you know has always been an issue and something that we we do have to consider with the development of staff. Denise, can I just take you back? to something you were, you were talking about a couple of minutes ago. It sounded like they were around habits forming and how to, how to change those habits. So as part of the coaching that, you, that you've been doing research, with researchers to obviously make, help them to feel more confident in, in their abilities, it's part of that helping them to form new habits. Um, and then as a result, that has an impact on their well-being. Yeah, so it's, it's about thinking different. So, um, so it's uh, for me if I, it's what's getting in the way and if you if we're going to form a new habit we need to understand what we're doing first yeah <laughs> so you know um so i want to go out running okay so what happens well the alarm goes off and i go oh i'll just have another 10 minutes <laughs> hmm. okay so so what what we're doing is understanding so what happens just before so, we, so what happens is the way coaching works is we start getting people aware of our, what, what's the current habit that we want to change and how does it work and what do you need to do different. So coaching's grounded in neuroscience. Um, and so my, and, and one of the things that I work with researchers, particularly more so than in any other sector, is that they like the neuroscience because they, they like to understand why, who's not who's this weird woman that's coming in asking us these weird questions but actually what happens when you what happens in your brain when you wake up in the morning 
And actually, there are two parts of your brain without going into the neuroscience now, but you've got two parts of your brain. You've got you, who's really smart and confident and pretty, pretty cool. And then you've got an emotional part of your brain, which is the reptilian brain. And that's the bit that causes us some issues. So that's the, um, a lot of the work that I do. Um, I use and refer to a guy called Steve Peters, who wrote a book called The Chimp Paradox. And he uses a really um, cool little model. Um, and we're going to be talking about that um, uh, in our sessions. Um, I've, I've read that book. Um, yeah. It's, what it's, did you think? Oh, it's fascinating, especially the part where he's explaining about how the chimp can overpower you within a, within a millisecond and you, you don't realise the chimp is there. And a prime example of the chimp coming out is in a moment of road rage. You're absolutely fine, you're driving along, but someone does something slightly, um, it might come across as aggressive, and all of a sudden the chimp just takes control out of, of everything. And all of a sudden you're not thinking anymore of that uh, conscious self. The chimp's in control and the chimp's swearing, pressing the horn, going crazy. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, fascinating book, really enjoyed it. It's really interesting. I, I, um, I, so I, as well as working with researchers, I do one-on-one -on -one coaching with academics. And I, I had this great little story and obviously the person renamed, I mean, is, is nameless, but, and um, we were talking about this, um, the model of the chimp. So you've got you, your best self, and you've got this chimp, um, which is your reptilian. And actually it's only designed to keep you safe. Mm your emotional thinking machine and it's design and it thinks really differently to you and she has terrible road rage and she has a camper van <laughs> she loves <laughs> camper van and she's and she had she used to come into the university and she had quite a drive each morning and she said and she was like she was late this morning we had this session and she drove she was like tonnering on and i and she said this happens every morning and i said it sounds like your chimp like driving the van to to the university and <laughs> that's absolutely right i said well what would it be like if you left your chimp at home or left it in this in the passenger seat so we did some kind of coaching around that to try and calm her down she said it's much better when she drove and she left her chimp <laughs> so, so um yeah so it's a nice little model um and we go into it in a little bit more detail and i'm not attached to it you know there's lots of nice good models yeah but I like his is because one, it's grounded. He's a consultant psychiatrist. He's the, uh, you know, he knows his stuff. So, mm. and I think a lot of people uh, resonate with the model. So, um, and again, going back to your original question, it is around understanding. Well-being comes from understanding and making those habit changes around how you how you how your brain works. Yeah, that's where the that's where that's where the change comes. And Angela, this is obviously a really important theme for making an impact. Um, so I take it that that's about the things you were talking about just in terms of um, Concordat and, and, the, and so on. Is that right? Yeah, and I think it really brings back to what Alex said as well, actually, with all of this, is that, you know, making an impact is absolutely, well, we hope it's going to provide a rich and varied programme of development opportunities and activities for, for our researchers. Um, but part of that is making sure that the heads are in the right place to be able to, to accept and, and absorb this information. And I think that's why the sessions that Denise is talking about are really important to have as part of, you know, these types of events or linking on through our research staff association, which, you know, Denise is going to be doing some of these well-being events through. Um, is that, you know, again, having to look at the whole picture and making sure that our heads are in the right place so that we really can take these opportunities, these development opportunities as effectively and efficiently as we can. I think going on from what Angela said as well is, is that actually, um, you know, one of the requirements of being a researcher is to innovate. Um, and, um, you know, if we're not looking after ourselves and we are anxious or fearful or frustrated, our, our, our brain chemicals are very different to, the, to those where we need to be to be able to innovate. So I think it starts by really simply understanding if I'm anxious, I can't innovate. <laughs> so how do I make that change and what's getting in the way of me being anxious and how can I stop that? So Denise, could you give us a couple of the kind of practical tips that you give people in, in your coaching in terms of addressing exactly what you've just said? Um, 
So there's a couple of things around the mind management stuff. So, yeah, so this came from a researcher and he was going for an interview and he said, I'm not very good at interviews. And I said, well, who's told you that? So there was, I said, well, how did you get this job then? Oh, okay. So, well, so you must have, you, did you have an interview for this? Oh, yes. Okay. So, so you must be okay. So anyway, so what we did was we understood, so where's that come from? And actually, um, it had come from something some time ago. It had gone for an interview. It had gone horrendous. It was a very traumatic experience. But actually, the brain had lodged that as a memory. Okay. So what happened was he catastrophized that every time he was going to go for an interview, then that was going to come up. So actually, so the tip is to yeah, so understand what whether is that true? And actually, how can you so you start to become aware of what you're thinking and what would be a more helpful thought? So we've made up a whole story that he wasn't very good at interviews. And what we did was we got some evidence to say, well, actually, is that true? Well, it, it wasn't on that occasion, but on another six times then it was. So and then very often when you're working with with coaching, I take them to the what, what's the worst thing. So very often is I want to apply for this job and then they give me 36 reasons why they're not going to and why they won't get it all in the same sentence. <laughs> I go, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> so let's just break that down. OK, and it's that chimp brain. So the chimp is thinking, oh, my gosh. So I said, what's the worst thing that happens if you go for that interview? get the job and then what happens just apply for another one <laughs> so very often it's just um a coaching role very often is, is offering a different perspective um and, and again people um people work differently so within the research community there's a lot of uh, probably more introverted and reflective people than they're more extroverted and and i'm very much generalizing here but with a more extroverted um, uh, person, they might talk that out, whereas an, in, an introverted person will reflect it. And both can um, catastrophize, but they'll do it in different ways. So if I'm working with a group of researchers, what I what very often we'll do that exercise. So who thinks more like this and who thinks more like this? And how does that show up in your world? Because you'll have to you know, you'll have to, it's no good saying to the introverted person who likes to sit and reflect, well, you need to stand up and shout and do that because that's just not going to work. You need to get coaching tips and solutions that are going to work for that person. And they all have the, the lovely thing about coaching, the fundamental, fundamental belief in coaching is that the person that I'm working with, the researcher, the academic, whoever it is, is resourceful and whole. They're the expert in the life. I'm not there to tell them anything. I might have some tips, but my job is to ask questions so that they're empowered to, they know the answers, 100% know the answers or know where to get them. Yeah, and I guess as you tease that out, the outcome is that there is usually a positive impact in terms of their well-being. Is that right? 100%, yeah. 100% because very often it's uh, I feel better um, simply sometimes having the opportunity to talk in a safe space so in the small groups with researchers very often it can be quite lonely oh, I, I, you know I'm feeling this I you know I'm not very good at this or I feel like I'm drowning in work and you put a few people together and have a conversation you don't change the problem or the challenge but you just feel more normal about it oh, okay, well, I'm not on my own with that. So that's that, and that changes your brain chemicals. So that starts making you feel better anyway. So Angela, I know that researchers' wellbeing is one of the key themes for making an impact, but you've got lots of other really exciting stuff planned. Um, and you were starting to tell us a little bit about that earlier. Do you want to just give us a quick synopsis of what's involved in making an impact? Because obviously, has it moved online because of the COVID-19 situation? Yeah, no, so absolutely. So yeah, no, COVID-19 has um, has definitely played a part in, in how, um, you know, making an impact this year is, is going to run. So um, it's going to be an entirely online event. Um, and I suppose in that way, um, it will perhaps look and feel a little different to it has in, in previous years. 
um, we've had to think a lot of consideration around that actually with regards to you know screen time fatigue that people may feel and and also um, the length of which you can have sessions and and even the simple things around broadband speeds when you have other people in the home that are needing <laughs> or streaming or, or in conferences and all that sort of stuff and the distractions that you have at home as well with maybe children or, or other you know your, your partner or whatever needing to work as well um, and so you know we've really taken that into consideration so working with people you know like Denise in, in making the sessions a little bit shorter or um, you know uh, them to, to be accessible in, in a different type of way I suppose and, and how we can use web chats and tweet chats and all that sort of stuff around it but it will still be rich it will still be varied it will still look at um, lots of different ways in which you can make impact and and we have our clusters that look at um, impact outside of um, academia and in a digital agenda and with um, policy and, and health and society and that kind of thing as well. We've got some really um, great keynotes this year to, to keep an eye out for as well. So we've got um, Beth Thompson from um, Welcome Trust as, as well as, as others as well. And, and uh, again, we have some sessions on um, entrepreneurial skills, on um, uh, collaborations globally and um, also looking at um, you know again yes well-being and the the culture as well um, our research staff association are going to be running a couple of our cafe cultures um, looking at how we can have a hopefully a, a better research culture as, as well so so many things to be involved in and, and many things to, to do. Brilliant sounds like lots of really good stuff and is it just for researchers? So no, it's it's well, I suppose yes and no. It, it's for uh, professional services staff as well um, that are involved in 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 research um, too. Um, but it's it's open to um, all research staff across the whole of the university, uh, whatever level in your career, um, and um, across every faculty as well. And and we hope to launch the program um, very soon. By the time this podcast is out, it should be out there. And and um, uh, yes, absolutely. Um, there should be hopefully lots of stuff for, for everyone and and the way we run this program as well is is thinking about all those clusters that I've sort of mentioned there and beyond is that the participants should hopefully be able to um, tailor their own program so if you're really interested in how you can make an impact outside academia for instance then there'll be sessions that will be sort of coded that way so you'll know which ones that you can dip in and, and out of too. Wonderful. And we'll link to all of that on the website as well in the show notes for this podcast. And it's running mainly from the 1st to the 19th of June. Is that correct? That's correct as well. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and we'll have lots of um, online resources, um, as you suggest, within our web pages as well, um, that can then be ac um, accessed outside of, obviously, the Making an Impact um, weeks as well, and hopefully be a resource that, that people can, um, you know, get access to, you know, throughout throughout the year and beyond. That's amazing. Goes without saying you've done a massive you've done a massive thing moving it all online in such a short space of time, but it sounds like a brilliant programme. Denise, how has the current COVID situation impacted you and the work that you do? Um, well, it's quite interesting, really. I um so I I run a private coaching practice. Um so and I've got I've I've got virtual clients anyway. Um so I think my furthest client I've worked with us in Bangladesh <laughs> so you know wow. so um, and I did some we did some leadership work with a team in in a hospital in the Middle East uh, myself and another coach and we supported them virtually we went out there and did some leadership work but then when we came back we we did web chats and stuff like that so that hasn't that hasn't changed that much um i think what i've found is that some of the clients who are who are i've been used to working face to face it's kind of taken a shift and i think when when this all first hit there's what i call a lot of noise in the system so i was very sensitive in terms of letting people come around you know there was lots of people wanted to help and actually people didn't have the capacity so I think, um, and I was just saying to Matt earlier on that I'm noticing now people are, they've kind of, it's becoming, oh, it's a little bit more familiar. There's still quite a lot of anxiety out there. Um, but um, I think people are starting to look forward. And I think that, um, you know, what will that, what will that look like? So I think, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm no different. I will say just because I'm a coach, you know, I'm human as well. You know, there's like that, that, you know, obviously I run a business and there was that in, initial impact of, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? But 
um, I'm doing some work with NHS England, um, so I'm really privileged to be part of a team that's going into work with primary care. Um, and we started that, um, I was on the Sunday night shift. So that's giving um, um, people in primary care, GPs, uh, practice uh, nurses, uh, NHS, uh, you know, pharmacists, an opportunity to access a coach if they want to talk. So. Um, and that's all virtual as well. So I think that's sort of my contribution. But um, you know, I think that I think I think there's a silver line in it. I think it's very sad. There's lots of you know very awful things happened. But I actually think, from a human point of view, I I really do hope that this will make people you know that it's we've pressed the pause button. And I think for me, it's around. It's not about going back to normal. It's about moving forward into something different. Sure, I think you're right. So many people are saying that in terms of actually it's a horrific situation, but it has forced people to kind of reevaluate and, and look at how we're going to move forward for the future. What do you think the lasting effects will be, Denise, in terms of COVID-19 for the research community specifically? I don't, that's a really good question. I am. Um... I think it comes back to individuals. I, I think that, you know, there's um, um, what can you control and what can you influence? And you can't control, you know, I don't know what the, you know, what the landscape will look like for researchers. You know, there'll be lots of worry and a lot of noise about, you know, pots of funding and will this still be available? However, there's also a great opportunity. And I think going back to our well-being is, and, and if we're looking after ourselves, I have this little saying, it's a top tip, have to put your own oxygen mask on first before you help anybody else. Mm. So if you're well and you're doing your best and you're playing to your strengths and you're looking for opportunities to innovate, you know, and you'll get it and you're, you're, you're looking ahead about what contribution you can make rather than what's gone bad and didn't work it's like what can i learn from this opportunity and how can i take that learning forward that that is that can only be positive yeah and i guess angela those tips are really helpful specifically for our community our research community at, at the university of liverpool would you say yeah no absolutely i think it's um there have been lessons i think we have learned from um you know, having to move an event such like making an impact on online or in a different format in, in considering not just the technology, but also what that means in people's lives. Just as I was saying before, with, with thinking about everything else that happens, you know, at the moment, we're not just working from home, we're working from home in a crisis situation. And I think what we've been thinking about with making an impact with making it an online event is we have definitely been thinking a bit more about what that means to researchers themselves, not just as in as a development opportunity as well, but how can we really help it to make it more accessible and easier to them because of the situation we're in. And I'd really like to think that one of the positives in moving forward from that is, is for me personally anyway, is that that's something that I always consider. I'd like to think I did that anyway, but I think this has really made me reflect even more on what events or activities or development opportunities that we're providing, what does that actually mean and how accessible, how accessible actually is it to people to be able to engage with it? And maybe moving forward, you know, with I'd like to think that making an impact next year can be a more face-to-face -face, um, event again, but may well have elements of that that will stay online because of the fact that it has enabled people that have got caring responsibilities or are unable to, you know, take travel to, um, you know, even just a place on campus that they can sit at their computer and they can access that session half an hour in the morning or during a coffee break or, or whatever. And so I think moving forward, hopefully we can bring that as well into how we look at how we format things as well. And one of the really genius things that you've done, which I've noticed um, and really, really practical is ResDev in your PJs, which I love the idea of. Matt, I think we need to start podcasting your PJs. No, um, do you want to tell us a little bit about what that is? Yeah, no, absolutely. So um, when we um, realised, you know, that um, the vast majority of us were going to be working from home, we really wanted to find a way that we could sort of virtually reach out to our, our researchers, let them know that we're still here 
that we still care and that we're 100% committed to, you know, supporting their development and, and, and also the community networking and that kind of thing. So we came up with this idea of ResDev in your PJs um, and it includes alternating weekly sort of little bite-sized videos um, that Hollywood will definitely not be calling on my door anyway. Um, but uh, they're there and, and we talk a little bit about um, our research staff association. We, sh we you know, have shown the resources that are available online. Um, we have got one coming up that's talking about some of the, the well-being um, uh, resources that we have within the university as well. And 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 many um, other topics too and then on the other week we have these twitter um check-ins and so again our research staff association have been great in in supporting us with that but yeah we just have through our um at live researcher uh twitter account um we just have some little um chats uh, with the research community um how they're getting on um you know some tips and advice and and all that sort of stuff and and also uh you know some other daft little things about you know what's the picture that you can see behind you or or your coffee cup and and those sorts of things just to keep us all connected really i think that's i think that's a great idea and, and i think that's really interesting angela what you were saying about the keeping connected and it's for me it's that social connection so last week um i've been working with a leadership team in one of the faculties and um obviously the working from home bit um rather than just they were doing a lot of business as usual stuff and, and we'd started some leadership work and I just wanted to keep connected so I offered and we did something called a team tea break and uh, and it ran something like this everyone had to bring something to the call um, that was important to them it couldn't be alive so no, no children partners or anything animals unless there was a picture and they had two minutes to talk and I facilitated it. So you have two minutes to talk um, about this thing that you've brought and why it's important. Um, and then there was room for one or two questions. It was only an hour, so it wasn't like very long. We didn't anything business as usual. And it was amazing. We had a terracotta, terracotta warrior. We had a hip flask from the 19th century for, that was someone's great grandfather. We had a piano in the back. Um, we didn't get him to play a tune, unfortunately. <laughs> but it was um, um, it was such a um, what was lovely about it, apart from being fun, was actually this team got to know things about each other that it probably would never have done in in the kind of if this hadn't have happened. So it was a lovely way to start um, keeping that connection and building that trust um, and have a nice cup of tea as well. <laughs> yeah, I can relate to that, Denise. We've, as a team, the academic developers, we've been meeting every day. And then on a Friday during our team meeting, we don't talk work at all. Um, and we do something very similar. You know, some of us are baking for the first time. You know, some of us are, I'm even growing potatoes. <laughs> I, I thought potatoes were potatoes, but apparently there are baby potatoes that you have to grow to get new potatoes. You know, we've been sharing all those kind of things. And I know more about my team in the last month than I have in the last year. Um, and for me, that's been really, really important and a great support for everyone on the team um, at this difficult time. Well, thanks both. Um, that's been a really interesting and helpful conversation. We like to finish each podcast um, by asking our guests to just give us one or two hints or tips um, for our listeners to reflect on in terms of their own personal practice. So, Angela, if we start with you, if you could give our listeners a couple of tips, what would they be? So, I suppose in thinking about the organisation of the Making an Impact event, and I think hopefully when we look at the other side of it, this will hang true as well. And I think where it feels like the sessions that have worked or are going to work the best are ones where we really have connected with the community that these sessions are going to be for in helping to design that session. So a co-creation of those sessions. And that's something that we very much have done with, with Denise and, and some of the other facilitators that are, are providing sessions. Brilliant. Thank you. And what about yourself, Denise? I think at this time in particular, I would say, um, you know, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of anxiety and there's a lot of um, worry around. Um, and have a think about if you can't control it, let it go. Well, think about what you can influence 
that's the first thing so if you can't control it let it go um and look at what you can control and the other is be kind to yourself you know are you treating yourself like you would your best friend do you speak to yourself like you would your best friend or if you've got a really harsh inner critic voice and i think if you can start becoming aware of what you're telling yourself right now um you know we're in a pandemic <laughs> it's okay to have a couple of days where it might be a bit you know not not too great so just be gentle and kind to yourself and um yeah wonderful could i just also sorry could i just also add i'd say just stay connected as well so for 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 me obviously i would say that you know being involved with our research staff association or whatever that's a great way of being connected but it doesn't need to be that way either i just think staying connected with others um during this time is really important in whatever way is best for you that's great thank you both we've really enjoyed that conversation yeah great thanks for your time Well, I hope you really enjoyed that podcast. Um, one of the things that Denise was, was talking about and what really resonated with me was when she was saying about, the, you know, thinking about the things that we can control and influence. And if you can't control them, then you need to let it go. And that's really, really um, relevant at the moment in, in terms of COVID-19 and, and being in lockdown. And another thing she was saying was, um, you know, at the same time of all of this, we need to be kind to ourselves about it. So, you know, if we can't control it, um, just being able to let it go and be kind to ourselves will really help us long term. Yeah, I think you're right. Kindness is a theme that comes up in quite a few of our podcasts at the moment. I think what she was saying about how colleagues um, that she meets in academia, particularly academic um, colleagues, um, often struggle with that kind of inner critic and that pressure that they put on themselves. Um, potentially related to imposter syndrome and she talked about how coaching can really help with that in terms of confidence building um, and I think as you say kindness is is a key component to that as well mm -hmm. well there's lots of really good stuff in that podcast um, so please do let us know what you think in terms of um, anything that stood out to you we really enjoy hearing from you please do tweet us at Liverpool Uni Academy or you can tweet us direct at elearnermat or at Alexandra underscore Owen. Please do get in touch and tell us what you think about this conversation. Also, if you'd like to take your thinking and your reflections further, we have added a specific reading list um, to the website linked to this discussion. And you can find that at liverpool.ac.uk forward slash the hyphen academy forward slash podcast. So do check out that reading list. Yeah, I'm really grateful for those who have taken the time to either rate or review our show in your podcast providers app. So if you've listened and enjoyed this episode in particular, please rate or even better review the show as it really does help get us noticed and therefore more people will find us as a result. Uh, also, I know a lot of you have listened and not yet subscribed. So do hit the follow or subscribe button now and keep up to date with all of our latest episodes. Bye for now.